Praise God. Take your Bibles and you know what? I'm, I want to go back to, and we're going to finish 1 Timothy. We're in chapter, I'm really excited about it. We're in chapter 3, going through verses that really encourage us in our spiritual growth. Uh, they're leadership verses regarding elders, but they have application to everyone because they basically describe what we're to be in the Lord as mature Christians. Uh, and, you know, except with the exception of being able to teach, but at the same time, I think there's even some application there because I think all of us teach at least by way of example, and hopefully uh, we encourage people in the word. As it says in Romans 14, we're competent to counsel one another, so we all are able to even do some teaching, although he specifically is talking about specific roles for elders there. There's some application. But and we'll be back to that, hopefully, prayerfully, uh, next week. And I've already done work on that, that, on that the remaining uh, stuff I want to share in the next message for that. But I wanted to do a message today just to challenge you because it's a new year. And I had just a few things on my heart uh, to really encourage you in for this new year. And that was, you know, that's why it's going to take a few topical messages before we go back to exegeting verse by verse uh, through a book, which I think is awesome as well. Some people love to go topically. Some people love to go verse by verse through books of the Bible. Uh, you know, some say, well, biblical, you just got to go verse by verse. Well, no. Look at the early church fathers. You look at, you know, Paul's teaching, the apostles' teachings, you know. Uh, they weren't going verse by verse through the Old Testament scripture. Uh, they did a lot of topical things. And the church fathers certainly weren't going verse by verse as they're exegeting scripture, although it's a very effective way to teach. And I typically teach that way because uh, there's not one way to teach. I believe both, I think Victor Rhinus, I think it was like he was on a third, late third century was the first one to go verse by verse. He didn't go in great detail, not like we do, <laughs> uh, through the book of Revelation, which was interesting. But uh, it's great to study a book and at the same time do some topical things. That way we get the best of both worlds, themes, and, and also dealing with the scripture verse by verse. So I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I want to look, and sometimes it's just good to go, you know, go through a passage, amen? But I want to really hone in on verse 58. And challenge you to recognize that you, that your main boss is Jesus. That you're supposed to be and I'm supposed to be working for the Lord. Well, you say, of course you are. You're a pastor. Well, hey, long before I was a pastor, I've always considered Jesus first in my life after I came to Christ and realized that I'm enlisted by him as a soldier and I'm to serve him first and foremost. And any, uh, you know, job outside of serving Christ, working with my hands and what have you. And I did construction and did everything from dug ditches to became a tile setter and all kinds of different things. Salesman, cook, you know, all kinds of bus boy. <laughs> it's like everybody else did a lot of things, you know. And I was happy to do those things for Jesus, even though I worked at a pizza place for some time and that didn't know Jesus then. Before I turned 18, I had a, a number of jobs. But uh, when I came to Christ, Every other job became secondary. And you ever see that bumper sticker you're driving down the road? I don't know if you've ever seen one that says, my boss is what? You guys remember that one? What's that? My boss is a Jewish carpenter, you know? And I've, I've seen that bumper sticker. I always get a little chuckle when I see that. I go, amen. You know, their, their, their boss is Jesus. Amen. And I've given messages on work before, very practical messages on what the Bible says about working. A couple of them in the past in uh but I always remind people during those messages and other messages as well, when I talk about evangelism, is that working for the Lord is our first job. 
And I, and I encourage people, your second job is whatever you're doing outside of your main job, which is serving Jesus. And your second job should be ser- used to serve Jesus too. So that message, I remember, had a lot of impact on uh, Lenny, who ran our soundboard for a long time, who's now living towards San Diego area. I uh, t- try to talk to him from time to time. He'd love to be back up here. Uh, but he went through a lot of health problems and stuff. And he's a great, great bro. But he'd come to me every once in a while and say, this is my first job. Whether he's leading, helping lead worship or he's serving in the sound booth, he goes, this is my first job. He goes, I got to go. I got to get ready for my second job. Things like that. You know, he'd always work that in. I thought that was super cool. And that's how we ought to look at our ministry to the Lord. That's our first job. And look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the very last verse. And this is after a very long chapter on Christ's resurrection and second coming. Therefore, what's the therefore, therefore? <laughs> because there were certain people at the church of Corinth. It was a very messed up church, okay, in a lot of ways. Still a Christian church, but they had fallen away, some of them into certain things and so forth. And uh, there was schisms among them. There was a misuse of the gifts, all kinds of people speaking in tongues at once without an interpretation, which was driving unbelievers from the fellowship. A lot of confusion, people uh, looking at gifts in a selfish way, the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, they were allowing a, a guy to have relations with his wife to be in good standing in the church. And Paul said, boot him out of the church, you know, because the leaven will leaven the whole fellowship. Uh, they were into man's wisdom, which was a danger, which Paul deals with in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. They had many, many problems in this church, uh, eating things that were sacrificed to idols, uh, which Paul warned them that they were basically going to be making themselves partners with demons. If, uh, you know, it just gets into a bunch of different things. But in 1 Corinthians 15, it gets, it's really ugly through a lot of the book. And I'll probably preach on it, Lord willing, one time through 1 Corinthians because I've never preached that book. And sometimes I joke that you could call it First Californians, okay? They had a lot of problems. And... People a lot of times say, I want to I I be like the early church. Like, really, which one? <laughs> like the Corinthian church? Because <laughs> the early church was strong, but you want to exemplify the best things in the early church, amen? And, but one of the things that Paul had to do with extensively was some of the Corinthians were denying the resurrection from the dead. A literal, physical resurrection that believers, you know, basically destroying the whole hope of our resurrection. You know, the hope of the Christian church is Christ's second coming and us being raised to be like him and to be with him and to, and, and to, and to see him face to face. That's our hope. We emphasize the gospel, Jesus' death for our sins on the cross, his burial, his resurrection, and we rightly do so. Amen? But guess what's emphasized more than even the cross throughout the New Testament? By far and away, it's not even close, is Christ's second coming. No kidding. If you look at the scriptures that talk and the passage that talk about the cross, and not to diminish the cross because we emphasize the cross, I think here in the gospel, far more than the resurrection, or far more, I should say, than the second coming of Christ. Uh, Although we're called Blessed Hope Chapel for a reason, because we recognize that seeing Christ and being with Christ is our hope, amen? And that it's through the cross and the resurrection that we can come into his presence through Christ's shed blood, amen? And it's only because of the cross, the resurrection, that we could see him a second time. It says he came the first time in reference to our sin, but he'll come a second time in respect to our salvation, 
talking about our final salvation. But we couldn't have final salvation if not for the gospel. Amen? So it's not as though it's an either or, it's both. Amen? It's his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his, his second coming. And because he lives, we will live also. Amen? So if, if somebody ever says, well, prophecy, second coming of Jesus, that stuff's not important, you know? Really? How come so much scripture is devoted to his second coming? But you know, the second coming is not a heads in the cloud kind of thing. It's a very practical teaching as well. Because the exhortation is to live a holy life. To give out meat in due season. To the way your family life is. To preach the word and all these different things. There's so many exhortations connected to the second coming of Christ. And Paul goes to 1 Corinthians 15 emphasizing that Jesus has risen from the dead and giving evidences of the resurrection, all the witnesses, including Paul, that saw the resurrected Christ. And in light of that reality, the fact that he's coming back again, and that we too will be resurrected, that's what the therefore is there for. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. I really want to hone in on that verse. But let's read the verses that run up to it, not the whole chapter. We won't have time to go through the whole chapter. But look verse 50. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts through this in your son's name. So the last trumpet, man, boom, we're going to be changed, right? Raised imperishable. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we'll be caught up to meet him in the clouds. Some people deny the rapture of the church, saying, oh, the Bible never talks about a rapture. doesn't use the word rapture. Well, ha, the Bible doesn't use the word Bible either, but we have a Bible. Amen. So the Bible does speak of the rapture, okay? Harpazo is a Greek word that Paul used in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, and it's translated caught up, amen? To meet the Lord in the air. Paul used the word episunagoge uh, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, concerning Christ's coming and our being gathered together to him. He had already called it the harpazo in 1 Thessalonians 4, that he uses the word episunagoge, uh, which is interesting. By the way, episunagoge. I mentioned earlier, but I thought I should sound that out for you a little bit. Episunagoge. You know what word we get from that is synagogue. Amen. Episunagoge. Right. Well, Jesus used the, another form of that same word in Matthew 24, where he says, after the tribulation, he will episunago or gather up his saints or his elect from the four winds. Amen. Mark 13, he said, from the farthest ends of the earth and the farthest ends of the heavens. Amen. It's talking about a resurrection, a gathering of the believers. And by the way, he said, after the tribulation, he says, that trumpet will blast. You know, there'll be a, the loud trumpet. Well, what trumpet is that? Well, Paul said, the what trumpet? The last trumpet. And when is that, by the way? After the tribulation. Amen. So there's going to be this trumpet blast and we're going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye. By the way, when you go to Revelation chapter 11, you see all these plagues, all these seals, and then you, know, you see these, these trumpet judgments. And in the midst of all these trumpet judgments, I mean, you have scorpions let loose, spiritual. I mean, I mean it's literal, but it's, they're not the kind of scorpions we're used to seeing. 
type creatures stinging people. It's really crazy stuff. People can't die for five months. All these crazy things going on. And this is some of God's wrath being poured out, but not total in the totality. <laughs> and then he says this. Uh, then you get to the, to the seventh trumpet. And right before the seventh trumpet, that's where he says in Revelation 9, before the seven trumpets announced in chapter 10, in chapter 9, at the very end there, we looked at these verses Sunday, they didn't repent of their thefts and their murders and their, their sexual sin and, and their idolatry, their worship of demons, you know, a murder, you know, murder all those things, sorcery, you know, pharmakeia. Um, they didn't repent of all those things. And then that's the, and the point is, is all these judgments came. Why did the judgments come? The Bible says the judgments come to the earth that the nations would learn what? Righteousness. They want us... The Lord wants them to learn righteousness, but they don't repent, Revelation 9, 20 and 21. So what happens as a result of a lack of repentance? What happens? Tenth trump, uh, seventh trumpet, right? It says when the seventh trumpet blows, verses 6 and 7, then it will be finished. It's going to bring the end. And then you go to Revelation chapter 11, verses 15 through 19. The seventh trumpet blows. What happens? He rewards his saints. And it says the wrath of God came. And the kingdoms of this world became the kingdom of Christ. And he began to reign. That's when the ultimate wrath is poured out, which we're not appointed to. We get raptured, amen? Uh, but there's selective wrath even now. So in, con in context, we look forward to that last trumpet at the end of the age, after the tribulation and so forth. And he says in verse 53 of 1 Corinthians 15, for this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Praise God. Oh, death, where is your sting? Victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Death really stings, right? But it says, where is it? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because we don't suffer the second death, amen, and will be resurrected from physical death, amen? So in light of that reality that Christ is coming back and that we're going to be re resurrected, amen, look at verse 58, therefore, what's the therefore, therefore? In light of the fact that Jesus is risen, he's coming back again, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable. Don't be moved, guys. Always, always, Abounding in what? The work of the Lord. I love this next part too. Knowing that your toil is what? Not in vain in the Lord. It's not a waste. Serving Jesus is not a waste of time. A lot of things we do, we have to admit, can be a waste of time, right? A lot of things, it's like, they're going to go up and smoke on Judgment Day. But man, be steadfast, be immovable. Always abound in the work of the Lord, you guys. Because what you do for Jesus, it counts for eternity. Make your life count. Amen? You want to be blessed and rewarded at that time. Now, so your main job, our main job, is serving Jesus. The, uh, the focus there, knowing that your toil, your work, toil is work, is not in vain in the Lord. And it says, it says always abounding in the work of the Lord. What, it mean, what does it mean to abound? Grow, right? Always. How, what does always mean? All the time. We're supposed to be growing in our work for the Lord. You see what he's saying there? That's a challenging verse. I want to challenge you this year in the name of Jesus and in love. I love you guys. 
to let's work for Jesus, amen? Let's make this life, this, this life count, but let's also make this coming year count or this year we're in right now. Make it count for Jesus, amen? And it won't be in vain. And I'm grateful that it's not in vain. And, and recently I just gave a study and one of the things we looked at was Hebrews chapter 10. We're talking about the importance of fellowship. 10.23, let, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised us is faithful or he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you stay the day drawing near. So we don't just get together and gather together to hear the word, that's important, but we're also supposed to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, Amen. You know, I, t- I encourage you when I get to that verse, a lot of times, I, or when I mention that verse, I think it's important that we, to stimulate people to love and good deeds, that requires some thought, some prayer. Not just willy-nilly, oh, I'm going to church, I should maybe encourage someone. No, that's not, this, this is a ministry. We all have a ministry. It's the work of the Lord, the Holy Spirit. I pray, and I, hope, and I think a lot of you do too. I've heard testimonies this way, where you pray for divine appointments, right? And man, how many of you know when you pray for divine appointments, wow. You know, it's like, I can't tell you how many times I pray for divine appointments. Now, sometimes you're so busy for the Lord, it's like, do I even pray that prayer, you know? But, but I pray that prayer a number of times, and then when I'm witnessing, or just out and about, Lord, just boom, and I can't, and I'll run into people that, what in the world? How, wow, Lord, and I'll just be rejoicing how he answered that prayer. Well, we should be praying for a divine direction. We should be praying, Lord, help me to edify my brothers and sisters in Christ. Stick me with people that I can build up, that I can minister to, that I can encourage in Jesus. And he wants to use us. His eyes go to and fro throughout the earth. It says, looking for those who will be sold out to him so he can strengthen them to do his work. And the work of the Lord, we want to do his work. And it says, not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together as a habit of some. Keep in mind, these Christians that he's addressing in the book of Hebrews, many of them were being persecuted. Some had lost their homes, Right? Some had been imprisoned, so some were afraid to go to church, you know. What excuse do we have, you know? And he's saying to those guys who could actually lose their heads, make sure you stay in fellowship, it's important. And how can we stimulate each other to love and good works if we're not around each other? You know what I'm saying? So I think it's really imperative that we really keep in mind that he's using the resurrection and the second coming to motivate us to always be abounding, to remain steadfast, immovable from our hope. No, don't move from your hope. And then to abound always in working for the Lord. Amen? Be- why? Because it's not in vain. It's not in vain. It has meaning. Amen? It has significance. There are eternal consequences. Are you with me? Souls are on the line. Oh, what's in it for me? Well, hopefully just because you love Jesus and be redeemed, you want to serve him, amen? And that would be enough. And hopefully the fact that souls will be saved and you can encourage souls that are in fellowship already to remain in Christ. Hopefully that would be enough. But yes, guess what? There's also rewards. There's, your, your work for the Lord is not in vain. In fact, there's three things that I scrawled down. And, you know, uh, three things that comprise the work of the Lord. And I'm not saying it's only these three things, but these are the three things that I thought of, is exalting Jesus. That's part of the work of the Lord. Exalting Jesus. 
and evangelizing the lost. Amen? And edifying believers. And edifying believers. Exalting Jesus, our prayer is, Jesus told us to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Amen? We baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son, Jesus, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen? So, hallowed be thy name. We're supposed to love God with our whole heart. That's the greatest commandment. All soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. Amen? The first of the Ten Commandments is to have no other gods before him. Amen? So, first and foremost, we're exalting Jesus in our lives. And number two is evangelizing the lost. Remember our marching orders. What are your marching orders? We need to take this seriously this year. Jesus says in chapter 28, verse 18, that all authority in heaven and earth is given unto me. And then in verse 19, he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all the nations. Teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, verse 20, even to the end of the age. So we have our marching orders to preach the gospel to every creature, amen? To preach repentance, he said to the disciples, beginning in Judea, right? You know, in Jerusalem and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. So we have our marching orders. So our work is to exalt Jesus, amen? Give him praise, give him glory in our, the way we live our lives. Everything we do can exalt Jesus, amen? So it affects the way, the, the way we treat each other, the way we treat our families, the way we treat our loved ones, the way we treat our brothers and sisters, the way we te- uh, treat fellow employees if we're working in a job, in a secular job or a Christian job, the way we treat our enemies, we can exalt Jesus. And by doing, by exalting Jesus, we're also being a witness. But number three is edifying believers. That's another thing we're all called to do is build up the body of Christ, which we've talked about briefly. It's to edify one another, to build one another up in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I think it's very, very important that we get this. Now, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead and he's not coming back, well, it says in 1 Corinthians 15, go ahead and look at verse 19. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we of all men are what? Most to be what? We are of all men most to be what? pitied. If there's no resurrection, there's no second coming, and Israel become a nation again, all these other evidences are just a huge coincidence, which is ridiculous, we would be most to be pitied. On the other hand, (laughs) if he is risen, he is coming back. Wow. Not only eternal life, but eternal joy in God's presence forever and ever Now, it's amazing because Paul states very clearly that he's working for the Lord, and it's the resurrection that motivates him. It's the fact that Christ is coming back, that he's motivated to do practical things for Jesus, live for him, and be a witness for him. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 30. Why Why are we also in danger every hour? I mean, Paul goes through a huge list in 2 Corinthians about being shipwrecked over and over again and and beaten and left for dead and whipped so many times and all these things he was going through. Here he says, I affirm, brethren, in verse 31, by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If from human motives I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, 
What does it profit me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. In other words, guess what? If, if the dead aren't raised and there's no future resurrection, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I mean, just live for yourself, live for the world, you know? Not that all sex is wrong. It's done in Christ, marriage. Uh, drugs, if they're administered and they're not mind-altering, opening up demons. Music can be really awesome if it's about Jesus, Amen. Praise God. But he's talking about just living the way the heathen do, right? Hedonistically and just doing what thou wilt. Might as well just do that if Christ is not coming back, if he's not raised. But in, the, in contrary to that, Paul does the work of the Lord, even suffers for Christ and is persecuted because he is risen and he is coming back and it's not in vain in the Lord. Amen? So, everything we do for Christ should be motivated. I mean, whether, you know, you're, you know, <laughs> Whether you're teaching in the nursery, that's huge. That, will, that has meaning, that has significance. Whether you're taking care of the kids in the nursery or teaching children's church or they're changing diapers so other people can minister and get the word and you're on a rotation to make sure other people are getting fed and you're actually showing the love of Christ which can impact very little ones that can't even talk yet when they, they are in that environment because believers sanctify even the children. Uh, whether you're, you know, doing whatever you're doing, you know, for Christ is very, very important. Before I was a pastor years ago when I was, belonged to a church, uh, another church obviously, which I don't belong to anymore because we started Blessed Hope, uh, I did all kinds, I did, you know, whatever, menial things and whatever the Lord would have me do. I taught fourth graders for some time. I taught, they asked me to teach the college career class. I taught that for some time. I did evangelism, was invited to go to different churches and, 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 and preach at different churches before I was a full-time pastor. I was an evangelist going all over the place, doing, uh, uh, teaching at different churches where I was invited as a young guy. And I just wanted to serve Jesus. It didn't matter. I didn't know I was going to be a pastor. Whatever you have for me, Lord, I wanted to do. I just wanted to serve the Lord. And I used my you know, job, whether it was setting tile or whatever I was doing, even when I was digging ditches, man, I did it for Jesus, you know? I dug, dug, dug test pits sometimes over 20 feet deep, you know. Had to shimmy in and shimmy out. That's how I got my name, Shimmel, you know. No, that part's not true. But, uh, but you'd get all muddy and dirty, and I just probably loved one of my favorite jobs because I could memorize so much scripture down in the ditch because I didn't have to think, man, I just had to dig, you know. Then when it got too deep, you know, you couldn't throw the dirt up. It'd fall on your head, you know. So I'd get my partner to come from his, his uh, hole, you know. Actually, my brother Tom worked for me for a while. And uh, one guy would take it up. And man, I just, and setting tile, I memorized half the book of Revelation as a tile setter, you know? How come you didn't finish it? Because I became a full-time pastor. And then I was memorizing a lot of scripture that would apply to other people's lives, you know? <laughs> and uh, and uh, it'd take me an hour just to go through just the first half by memory almost, you know? I thought, Lord, do I want to just memorize the entire book of Revelation? Because I had to teach one day a week, then two, and so forth. So I just started memorizing. I already had a lot of other scripture memorized. But I was serving the Lord, not even knowing I was becoming a pastor, but just serving Jesus. And, that's, and I emphasize that to say to you, I'm no one. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, We're all dispensable, right? I mean, we really are. God could say, okay, Joe, I'm moving you out. I'm doing something else with you or doing, some, doing something else here. You know, I'm so happy to serve him here. I love you guys. But I'm just saying, 
is if we need to recognize he wants to use us all in various ways to encourage one another in Christ. And you don't have to become a pastor or an elder to be of service because we all are to serve the Lord and serve one another in Christ. Amen? And that's so important that, that we recognize that there's so many things we could do. And just ministering to someone in the smallest ways, just giving someone love and saying, but in, a, in a, an intentional way. You say, you just incidentally, someone says hi to you, oh, hi. You just don't mean, that. and there's nothing there, it's just hi. You don't get rewarded for that, but guess what? If you say, Lord, help me be a blessing to other people. And then you see someone and just, just even if you say, hey, how are you doing? You want me to pray for you or praise God or just encourage them in small words? That gets rewarded because you're doing it for Jesus, amen? You're doing it with a heart to build people up. Even if you say a small little prayer, but the prayer is sincere from the heart, Lord, use me today and minister to the people in the fellowship and the other Christians that I run into. God wants to use you mightily. So, I mean, you can be singing for Jesus. If you sing for Jesus, praise God. If you're singing for Jesus, you'll be rewarded. If you play an instrument for Jesus, you'll be rewarded. If you administrate for Jesus, if you take care of things, uh, you know, I remember that, that toilet right there, the seat was all messed up, and somebody beat me to it. I don't know who beat me to it, but I was just going to change the toilet out in that other bathroom. Remember, I don't know if you guys remember that toilet in that other bathroom was kind of jacked. And I'm like, you know what? I, I can change to toilets out. I've done a hundred of those or more, a lot of them. And, I go, I'm, and I'm going to just buy a new toilet. And then I went in there, and I'm like, somebody beat me to this. Who was that, by the way? Did a good job. And then I looked at it closer. It's a seat was changed. I got, oh, I would have changed the whole toilet out. I didn't realize I needed just a seat, you know. But uh, hopefully it doesn't get clogged. Anyway, uh, but just doing whatever you can for the Lord is, is important. Amen. Whatever it, is, whatever it is. Now, it's interesting because uh, whether you're, by the way, ushering, that's huge. I've shared with you before that a brother shared with me that somebody just sat him down when he first became a Christian, before he became a Christian at a church he was visiting, and the usher just sat him down and just showed him where to sit and said, hey, God bless you, and walked away. And he said he was reduced to tears, bawling, because he saw the love of Christ in that guy. And I'm like, praise God. The little things are important, you guys. And that, I think this is very liberating. You know why? Because how many of you think, man, to really serve Jesus, I've got I to gotta go to a place where they've never heard the gospel. I've got to learn the language. I've got I've to you know, die and be stoned to death, and then I've really served Jesus. Aaron, that's you? Anybody? No, I'm teasing. She's fixing her hair real quick. Uh, <laughs> but hey, you know, sometimes we get that in our mind, I'm not really serving Jesus. I'm just you know, on the mission field dying. And praise God. That's awesome, you know, if, you, if, if God opens up the door and you do something like that for him. Praise God, man. Uh, there's special rewards, I believe, for martyrs, no doubt, when you read the scripture. But guess what? We die daily to ourselves and serve Jesus. And if you serve him in ways that maybe the world or even other Christians might consider insignificant, but you're serving him, it's hugely significant in God's eyes. Now, I think it's important that Paul calls himself a master builder. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10, he says, according to the grace that God which has given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. Paul, over and over again, I'm not going to go through all the verses. I thought, should I take them through these verses? But I'm not going to. There's several verses where Paul talks about part of the work of the Lord is he was building churches. He was planting churches. We see that right here, and, and strengthening churches. 
you know, and that was a beautiful work. But Paul was a master builder, so I want to know what was Paul doing that made him a master builder? Because look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says, be imitators of me. Wow, yeah, I want to be a master builder. I want my brothers and sisters to be master builders. Now, uh, I'm sure I'll never be a master builder like Paul was a master builder. I'm sure none of us will be exactly like Paul because he was the most radical master builder after Jesus. But I want to, do, I want to build the Lord's kingdom. Amen. And he says, be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now Paul's imitating Christ and would imitate Jesus. And Jesus said, the disciple is one who looks just like his master after his master is done with him. So we follow Jesus' teachings. We follow Jesus' teachings through Paul too because he preaches the word of Christ. But what does it mean to imitate Paul? What, what is he doing? Well, there's no chapter breaks in this letter. This is a long letter, man, 16 chapters. No chapter breaks. So chapter 10 would go right into 11. So, and go to chapter 10, verses 31 and following and realize they would just flow right into what Paul was saying and see what kind of things he might have in mind that we're supposed to be imitating. Uh, verse 31. Whether then you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to what? The glory of God. Oop, there's exalting Jesus. Remember I said one of the things we do when we work for the Lord is we exalt Jesus. He said, whether you eat or you drink, do it all to what? God's glory, Amen. I'll do it all for God, to God's glory. Verse 32, give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. I mean, don't live immorally in a way that would, you know, turn people off of Jesus. Verse 33, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking what? What does he say here? It's very important. Not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the what? The many, so that they may be saved. So we exalt Jesus, amen? And that we don't live for ourselves seeking to make it all about us, but we seek the profit of many. How can I use my life to be a blessing to many, amen? Well, and for, to what end? That, the very end, so that they may be what? Saved. In 1 Corinthians 9, I think around verses 20 through 22 or so, Paul says, I become all things to all people that I might win some, Amen. So he's evangelistically minded. You can't just say, well, yeah, well, Paul's an apostle. He's supposed to do the work of the Lord. No, Paul said, be imitators of who? Me. He's writing to the saints at Corinth. That's all the Christians there. We're all supposed to be imitating Paul. Now, we're not going to be called, you know, you're not going to be one of the 12 apostles. By the way, Paul wasn't one of the 12 either. He was an apostle born out of due time. He says in the very chapter we've been looking at, 1 Corinthians 15. But... No one's going to have quite the ministry that Paul had. But we are to seek to divest ourselves or pour ourselves out. In Philippians 4, remember Paul said, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Although he existed in the very form of God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be held on to. But he made himself of no reputation and took for himself the form of a servant. And he died the death, not just the death, he says even the death on the cross, Right? That's the mindset we're supposed to have. We're supposed to follow Jesus' example, die to self, not just, and right before this says, don't just consider your own interests, but consider the interests of others. That's what this verse reminds me of. Don't just look out for your own profit. You're not, don't, don't live for your own profit, but live for others. Paul says in what's well, Acts chapter 20, he says, I have not counted my own life dear to me that I might finish my race. If I focus on myself, I'm just being honest with you. If I all of a sudden started focusing on me and what I, you know, the flesh and living for myself, I wouldn't finish my race. 
I certainly wouldn't be here tonight on a Wednesday night. I'd be doing my own thing. Whew, what, a, what a futile, empty life that would be, by the way. I mean, I know I'd be in huge trouble. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, Woe unto me if I do not preach the gospel. Judgment. That's what I'd be asking for because I know what I've been called to. And, but it's not a, I can honestly say before you, before the Lord, that that's not even a temptation by the grace of God to not serve God. I've been there, done that. How many of you remember what, before you were saved how empty it was, amen? How many are so happy you're saved and so happy that you get to be used by the Lord? What a privilege it is to be used by Jesus, amen? And to do the work of the Lord, that's, that's just mind-blowing. Now go to 1 Corinthians chapter, well, you looked, went there, now go to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 12. Look what Paul says here in verse 12. So also you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, or spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the what? Edification of the church. He mentions all kinds of different gifts in chapter 12 and in chapter 14. But he says it's good that we seek to excel in, in spiritual gifts, and we should be praying, the Bible says, that God would give us spiritual gifts. Each Christian has one gift. I know that because it says that in 1 Corinthians 12. It says that in Ephesians 4. It says that in Romans chapter 12. It says that in 1 Peter chapter 4. All four of those chapters state that every believer has at least one gift. Yet, just as physically people are typically born with physical gifts, when you're born again spiritually, you have at least one gift. And we're supposed to edify each other, build each other up, encourage one another. And as we seek the Lord, we cry out to him and say, Lord, use me. Those gifts become manifest as we build each other up in Christ. And that's very, very important. Now, go to 1 Corinthians 12, 7. Because here's something that Paul points out to these Corinthians. Because they're using the gifts selfishly. They're, some of them are speaking in tongues, but they want people to know they're spiritual. So they're just going to speak in tongues in front of everybody. Even though there's no interpretation, just say, look, I've got the gift of tongues. But look what he says in 12.7. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for what? The common good. That's why the gifts are given, for the common good. Some will prophesy. Some have discernment of spirits. They can make a distinction what Satan's doing in the spiritual world and, and so forth. Others, uh, you know, have the gifts of encouragement, gift of mercies, gift of governments for Romans chapter 12. I mean, uh, all kinds of different gifts the scriptures talk about, uh, gifts of administration and so forth. And we come together and we edify one another. But look at the very end of chapter 12, verse 31. But earnestly desire the greater gifts, which is by, by the way, interesting, they were focusing on tongues. And he puts tongues at the bottom of the list. And he says, I, I speak in tongues more than all of you guys, but I won't speak one word without an interpreter. Because a non-believer will come in and think that you're mad, he says. That's not edifying the church. He that speaks in a tongue doesn't speak to men, but, but speaks to God. And the interpretation would show the praise forth to God, the praise to God. And he says, earnestly desire the greater gifts. And he mentions prophecy, which is for consolation and encouragement, you know, instruction and so forth is the one we shall be praying to minister to others, you know? And he says, but earnestly desire the greater gifts. And look at verse, the second part of verse 31. And I show you a still what? A still more excellent way. What's, an, what's the more excellent way, Paul? What's the more excellent way? Look at chapter 13, verse one. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong 
or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but I do not have love, it profits me nothing. Then he describes what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. Okay? So even the gifts of the Spirit, whether the tongues or prophecy and the other gifts that are mentioned, they're done to edify the church. But when Christ comes back, when that which is perfect has come, we won't have to depend on a word of knowledge from someone, you know? won't have to, uh, because guess what? We'll be perfected. Now, some believe that what Paul's talking about here is when the Bible was completed. So when John wrote the book of Revelation around 95, 96 AD, then the canon of Scripture was completed. Now there's no, the, 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 the gifts are no more, you know. I'm sorry, that's not what Paul's saying there. Because, how do I know that? Because long after the canon of Scripture was closed, John wrote the book of Revelation, we still know in the future, in Revelation chapter 11, there'll be two witnesses, and what will they do for 1,260 days? Prophesy, it says, right? Uh, the, it says your old men will dream dreams, right? You know, and young, you know, your daughters will prophesy, there'll be visions, all kinds of things in the end days. In fact, I was talking to a guy who came from a seminary that was very, uh, oh, the gifts have ceased, and he interviewed me as part of his thesis, or I don't know if it was his thesis, but it was a big paper that he was doing, and he had to find a pastor that believed that the gifts of the Spirit are still here. And he interviewed me, and I went out, and I, I took Big Jim Sanford with me, and it's a long story, so I'll just give you a minute, but I just gave him scripture. I said, hey, I don't, I'm not like the charismania people who just look, don't test everything. We're all into the Word of God. But guess what? If you're in the Word and you read it, you'll see that the gifts do not, have not ceased yet. And one of the places I took him was Mark chapter 13. I go, you believe that the tribulation is in the future, right? And he, yeah, of course. Okay, look, Jesus said when they take you before kings, you know, and so forth, don't premeditate what you're saying because the Holy Spirit will give you utterance and speak through you at that moment. He goes, well, it looks like they're here in the future still. I go, yeah, they are. But even look at what Paul says. He defines what it means when that which is perfect has come right here. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. Verse 11. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child. Think like a child. Reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly. But then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will what? Know fully. Well, now he defines what fully means. I will will know fully just as I have what? Been fully known. 
Who fully knows us? God. Do we have that kind of knowledge? Do we know as we're known by God? No, not yet. When the book of Revelation was written, did everybody all of a sudden know as they were known? No. A lot of people didn't even see the book of Revelation. A lot of Christians, for, for some for decades, and some never even read the book because the scripture was being passed around and wasn't collated into one book yet. Verse 13, but now faith, hope, love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is what? Love. So when we minister to one another, we have to love one another. And now you're not gonna be able to judge up love from your flesh. You can't say, man, I just gotta love those people. No. The Bible says we need the fruit of the Spirit, amen? Paul said the fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, joy, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, right? Self-control against these, such there is no law, it says. But it's the fruit of the Spirit. Romans chapter 5, Paul says the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So we become Christians, we're born again, the Holy Spirit lives in us. Then God begins to remake us into the image of Christ. In fact, Paul talks about this here in 1 Corinthians, how we're being made like in, in the image of Christ. And we will bear the image of the second Adam, he says in 1 Corinthians 15. The image of Jesus, he's the second Adam, amen? So part of our work, to, and the work of the Lord is to build each other up and help people become more like Jesus. Do you understand? And that means we need to be more like Jesus. How are we more like Jesus? Well, I've told you before, we never will be God because God has incommunicable attributes, which he doesn't communicate to us. His omnipresence, for instance, being immortal, never having a beginning. We could never have a beginning or be without a beginning, amen? We're not the same yesterday, today, and forever. Only God could be that, right? There's certain things, but when it comes to things that God made us, that he shares with us, love and peace and joy, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, these are things that come from his spirit as he lives within us, and he makes us more like Jesus, amen? So part of our mission in edification is to build our brothers and sisters up to become more like Jesus, to exemplify patience, to exemplify love, Patience, when you're wronged, long-suffering. To, to not, when you're reviled, not to revile back. Amen? To go the extra mile and be there for one another. To not grow weary in well-doing. When you are in a conflict with somebody and you feel hurt, to forgive them as God has forgiven you in Christ Jesus. Amen? That's a communicable attribute, forgiveness. That's a manifestation of God's love. So we must continue to pray, Lord, help me grow in these communicable attributes. Remember last Sunday we talked about adding to our faith these various things to grow, you know, that Peter talks about seven virtues to grow in. So he says if we add these things to our faith, moral excellence, you know, and brotherly love and things of that nature, he says we'll never fall as long as we're growing in grace. So you guys, part of the work of the Lord is to help one another become more like Jesus. Are you with me tonight? Helping the little kids, not just adults, helping the young people, helping the older folks. How come you're all looking at me? Oh, I'm preaching this way, okay. Uh, you know, helping each other, encouraging one another. You know, and it's interesting, I think this is really cool because guess what? He says, if I speak in the tongues of angels and of men, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. But he says, I'm a clanging symbol. You know, I'm a noisy gong. I think that's very fascinating. 
because Alfred Edersheim, Alfred Edersheim, I love this because he was a messianic uh, Jewish believer uh, who wrote, you know, the life of times of Jesus. And, and he talks about how the priest, the high priest would wear a belt. I've shared this before because I think it's so cool. And the belt we read in the scripture, it was interspersed with golden bells and pomegranates. In fact, when you look at the highest point of the temple, the image that you see is, a, is pomegranates. Fruit, amen? Fruit's a picture of God's love. Pomegranate's really heavy. You break it open, man. It's like blood red. Tough outer skin like God himself, man. But meant to be broken like the God man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so nourishing. Pomegranates are so good for you. And it's interesting that that was the fruit that God picked, that bloody looking fruit, to go near the top of the temple. And Edersheim didn't talk about that, but he talked about how the, the fruit was interspersed with the bells, and we read about that. But the point, we know that already from the scripture, but the point he makes is that if you took the fruit out and just had the bells, it would be noisy, clanging. But with the fruit in between the bells to muffle the bells a little bit, it was melodic, the way they had designed these bells. Well, I think that's really a trip. Why? Because guess what? In 1 Corinthians, you guys hear a bell going off? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Lord, help the kids. Help us all. I was once a kid. I was a bad kid too. My brother Tom was just telling me the other day, he's visiting from Idaho. He's coming to my house tonight, hopefully. We'll see. Uh, he's there Sunday night. He goes, Joe, I was a wild child. He goes, but you were really crazy. I'm like, and he just gave me that little talk. He goes, go in the ocean and they take you out because the riptides and you go back in and you'd leave me right with you. You know, well, you take it out again. He's giving me these stories. You're, we're going down a river or, or going down the creeks and stuff or the lake and you'd have to, it'd say, no trespassing. Don't go down this canal. And you say, let's go down this canal. I was just not a very smart kid, man. I loved adventure. I loved to break the rules and I loved to see what I could get into and what I could find. And I was under that deception that, hey, if something's forbidden, it must be good. Do, thou shalt not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, right? I would have been an easy sucker early on. Let me see what it does. I'm turning back to dust, messed up. But I'm the opposite now. I've come to Jesus and I realize his moral law is perfect, amen? And then I get to see the most beautiful things by following him, you know, and, and serving him and living for him. But the crazy thing is, if you live for the bells, just the action, but you don't have fruit, it's a noisy, you're a noisy gong. This is what's a trip. What's 1 Corinthians chapter 12 all about? The gifts of spirit. We looked at 1 Corinthians 14. What's that all about? The gifts of spirit. Those are two bells. Come on now. What's in between those two bells? 1 Corinthians 13, which is all about what? Love, the fruit. See how you need both? Are you with me? I don't think that's an accident because Jesus, the high priest, were a, a family of of, of a kingdom of priests, amen, and we serve him, and as his body, he wants us to be used to his glory, ringing bells for his glory, exalting Jesus, amen, ringing bells, leading people to Christ, ringing bells, encouraging people in Jesus, amen, but he doesn't want us to forget love, because if we're not doing it in love, we're just making a bunch of noise, we're not going to be fruitful, that's why we have to pray, Lord, help me be more loving, 
You know, I never stop praying that because I feel like I've never arrived. Because I've never become perfect like Jesus yet. And Jesus says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And Peter says, be holy as he is holy. So if, praise the Lord, he gave me a new heart. I love my, my God with all my heart, soul, mind, strength as much as I can, but not perfectly yet. So I can say, Lord, help me love you more. I want to love my brothers and sisters fervently from the heart, and I do, but I never stop praying that because the minute you stop praying that, you think you've arrived? Yeah, that's the minute you stop, your love starts to diminish. So you need, so it's always, I always pray, Lord, help me do your will. And I'm encouraging you that. Really, you guys, you got to take it seriously. Pray daily. Lord, help me do your will today. People say to me, Joe, what does it mean for me to take up my cross, to deny myself and follow him? I go, very simple answer. Pray the way Jesus told you to pray. Not my will, but what? Your will be done. You're denying yourself, doing his will. And edify one another. Listen to this. Romans 14, 19. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Are you building each other up? Hebrews 3.13, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Jude 1.20, believe your, uh, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.12, giving, uh, God gave, it speaks of God, he gave apostles and prophets, evangelists and pastors and teachers, right? And it says, for the equipping of the saints in verse 12. For the equipment of the saints, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Guess what? He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists and pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. I love that. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. In other words, guess what? We're supposed to be building each other up. And we're being nourished and we're becoming this holy temple before God, which is awesome. And verse 16 says in the same chapter of chapter 4, whom from the whole body being fitted together and held together by that very, what, that very joint or every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. I love that, guys. Each and every part of the body is significant. That's what he's saying there. Every single member of the body of Christ is significant. None of us are better than each other. All of us are to be used for God's glory. Every one of you is significant in your edification. That's why I think it's silly. People, you know, pastors, are, they wear clerical collars and they stand out. And I'm like, that's ridiculous. I don't even want to name. And I still don't have a name on my, my office to this day. And I say often, just call me, hey, Pastor Joe. No, just call me brother. I'm your brother. Some people say, I want my kid to learn order and I want them to call you pastor. And I'm cool with that. Praise God, but I'm just your brother. I recognize, well, Paul calls himself an apostle. Well, yeah, they're showing that there's different offices and God uses people in different ways, but we're all basically equal at the cross and we just build each other up in Christ. And, and I, I think it's so important that you recognize that we are all clergy. For centuries, there was a distinction between the clergy and the laity. No, we're all ministers of the gospel. Amen. We're all to be used to God's glory. And Satan, I believe, did that because he wanted most of the body of Christ to think that they were just not important. And therefore, they don't minister. And therefore, they don't witness the loss. And therefore, they don't build each other up. And Satan scores big time. Don't let that happen in your own life. Recognize God loves you. He wants to know know that you love him, that he loves you. And not only loves you, but he wants to use you. Amen? I mean, Paul was the chief of sinners, right? He said God saved him to show others that they could be saved, right? But God didn't just save Paul as the worst sinner to show others they could be saved. He also used Paul radically to show ex-sinners that were really bad that he can use them too. Amen? 
God wants to use you radically. You know, and, and I love this. Ephesians 4.29, a few verses later, says this. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such as a word as is good for edification. That's building each other up. Amen? Edifice. What's an edifice? The building. Edification. According to the need of the moment. So that it will be give grace to those who hear. So guess what? Don't tear people down. Encourage each other in Jesus. Love one another. Build each other up. I read about a woman and she's tripping out because she is a businesswoman. She went into this Thai restaurant and she ordered some Thai food. And they gave her the Thai food, but then they brought some peanuts by. You know, Thai, a lot of Thai food, peanuts go with a lot of Thai food. And she started sprinkling some of it to sprinkle on her food. So she sprinkled them on her salad and stuff and was enjoying the peanuts. And then all of a sudden she heard behind her, there was hardly anybody in the restaurant. And it was like, what a very nice hairdo you have. And she's like, she looked like, is that to me? And she looked and there was no one there. She's tripping out. Where did that come from? Then a little bit later, she got a compliment on her dress and her purse and nice shoes. And she, she looked around a couple times and she stopped looking because she felt foolish because she couldn't see anybody. And the waiter came and he says, you know, how you doing? He goes, she goes, I, I, might, I think I might be going crazy. She goes, is there anybody here that could have been saying something? Because I was hearing things. I think I'm going crazy. Oh, she goes, oh, not at all. Well, they were saying I have nice hair. To, oh, he goes, oh, it's the peanuts. They're complimentary. So, and then she realized, you know, that they were complimented. I don't think that's a true story, you know. But uh, you know what? Try encouraging each other, amen. Don't, you know, don't mock each other. Don't talk down on each other. Build each other up in Christ, amen. Love one another, amen. Now, it's interesting. We don't want to tear each other down. First Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. That church of Thessalonica was a very loving church. He goes, do, it, do what you're doing, but he says, abound still more in your love, he says to them. And then this is a, this is a powerful warning against tearing people down and, and trying to hurt people for whatever motivation you may have. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says, there are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, murder, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife or divides the brethren. Now you don't want to, now that's a heavy list, man. But you don't want to divide the brothers. You don't want to set people against each other, poison people's minds toward other people. That's satanic. In fact, Paul puts, I'm sorry, God by his spirit puts that among the list of seven things on the same list where you have perjurers and you have murderers. So don't be someone who's trying to tear your brothers and sisters down. Be one that's seeking to build them up. Amen? Because that's from the flesh, factions and all those things. Galatians are not are contrary. The fruit, the fruit of the Spirit in verses 20 through 22, 20, in verse 22, is contrary to the works of the flesh in verses 19 through 21 of those who will not inherit God's kingdom. And those who are, you know, separating the brethren uh, and, and causing anger among brothers and sisters. Don't do that. Don't be a gossip, amen? Be an encourager, okay? Because one gets judged, the other one gets rewarded and blessed, amen? It's very, very important that we get this. It's a lot easier to tear down an edifice than edify or to build up. In fact, there's an unknown author, I like this. I, I couldn't find out who wrote it, but I thought it was really well done. A builder or a wrecker, it's called. You're either a builder or a wrecker. 
As I watched them tear a building down, a gang of men in a busy town, with a ho-heave-ho, a lusty yell, they swung a beam and the sidewall fell. I asked the foreman, are these men skilled? Are they, and, and these men you'd hire if you wanted to build? He gave a laugh and said, no, indeed. Just common labor is all I need. I can easily wreck in a day or two what builders have taken years to do. And I thought to myself as I went my way, which of these roles have I tried to play? Am I a builder who works with care, measuring life by rule and square? Am I shaping my work to a well-made plan, patiently doing the best I can? Or am I a wrecker who walks to town content with the labor of tearing down? Oh Lord, let my life and my labors be that which build for eternity. I like that a lot because he's emphasizing there not just it's important to be, it's easy to tear down. You know, and, and guess what? Tearing down, man, you ever, I remember being young and seeing that big ball and change, <laughs> go to the building, you'd be like mesmerized watching the building go down. Or like 9-11 when those buildings went down, everybody's tripping, but it's not good. And tearing down feeds the flesh. It's a lot more work to pray for people, to love people, to build people up. And that's the work that the Lord rewards, Amen. Because the Bible says that we're all stones. We're living stones. And we're supposed to build each other up. Amen? So we're all, it's kind of interesting. We're the stones, but we're also the builders. Amen? And we're building something for the Lord. And that's very, very important. And if you've done that, you know, we got just pray. Say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for talking about her in a bad way. Or forgive me for tearing that brother down. And cleanse me by the blood. And help me speak words that encourage people. Words that edify people. Amen? It's important that we get this. And, you know, some people think, well, that's great because, but man, I want to work full time because what you're talking about is so important. I want to do the work of the Lord. But there's eight hours of my life a day, five or six days a week that I'm not working for the Lord. I wish I could just quit my job. Well, guess what? Whatever you do, do it to God's glory. You are working for the Lord or you can work for the Lord even if you're, whatever you're doing, you're flipping burgers, you know, you're, you're cleaning windows. Whatever you do, do it for Jesus. Listen to what Paul says. Slaves, Colossians chapter 3, verse 20 through 22. Slaves, slaves, in all things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Listen to this. Knowing that from the Lord you receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve those who are considered the very lowest, the slaves, are being told, do what's right. Do a good job. You're really doing it for Jesus, and you're going to be rewarded. Amen? That's pretty cool. So no matter what you're doing during the day, unless you're a stripper or something, okay? Or you're getting people drunk, and you're a bartender, and getting people drunk, or something like that. It's evil, yeah. Say, Lord, give me a new job. Amen? But if you're doing things that somehow contribute to society in some way, praise God. And be a witness while you're doing that. Be a witness as you're serving the Lord and depend upon his strength. And I've wanted to share a few more things with you about the judgments in 1 Corinthians 3. The last day will declare who's doing what for the Lord. And 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it talks about how we witness to people and beg them to be reconciled to the Lord. And we do so in the fear of the Lord because we're going to all sit before the judgment seat of Christ. 
I'm not going to read those passages because I just got a couple minutes left. I want to close with a poem. And this, uh, I love this because don't worry, the, the poem is better than the peanut story, okay? But uh, <laughs> uh, C.T. Studd, he's, this guy, I love C.T. Studd, man. C.T. Studd was a millionaire because he was born into a very rich family. He was a professional cricket player. He had a ton of money. He had fame and everything else. But he became a Christian. Now I have time to get into his whole story because I've got a few minutes left only. And he was struggling, though, like very few people do because he had so much money. I mean, he's like a multimillionaire compared to today, right? Be like being a millionaire today. He had everything at his fingertips. Fame, cricket player, which was a big sport in those days and among the people that he was from. But he wrote a, he wrote a, he wrote a poem. Listen to this. Only one life will soon be passed by C.T. Studd. And he was a radical, became a radical servant of the Lord. Him and his wife, missions, bringing people to Christ, serving Jesus. Listen to what he wrote. Two little lines he writes, I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. These are the two lines. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done then in the day of my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life, will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life, will soon be passed. Only one, what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears, each with its clays I must fulfill, living for self, or in his will. Only one life will soon be passed. Only once done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would be a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep in joy or sorrow, Thy word to keep, faithful and true, whatever the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. A couple more stanzas after the verse. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn. And from the world, now let me turn. Living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure to thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Last stanza, only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say, t'was worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. It all comes down to just one thing. Remember that? Doug, I couldn't believe you ended with that song. Amen. It all comes down to just one thing, right? And what was that? That is to know the Lord Jesus, amen? And to what? And to make him known, amen? 
So let's all press on to know him more this year, amen? Let's press on to serve him by serving one another in Christ. What we do unto the least of these are brethren, we do unto him, amen? Let's serve Christ this year and for the rest of our lives because that's the only thing that ultimately matters. What we do for him is the only thing that will last into eternity, amen? Praise God. Can we all please stand? Good to see everybody. I know quite a few people because some of the people that are close to you are out because of sickness. I'm sure many others that I've heard about. Uh, but praise God, y'all made it. It's a good group for a time where a lot of people are sick. It's good to see you guys. But you know what? Praise God. You could have said, oh, it's too cold. I'm from California. I can't go into, out in 70-degree weather. You know, is it 70 degrees and everybody's got coats on and stuff? You know, that's a little colder than that. But praise God. Lord is good. Amen. Love you guys. Let's, uh, man, Doug, can you do me a favor real quick? Nah, you know what? Yeah, just whip it out right there and just start singing that song all the life. You start singing it from right there. Wait, shouldn't he go up there? That's not, that's not like a rule in the Bible. He didn't have to. All of life. He'll just sing that chorus just a couple times through, Doug. It comes down to just one thing. That's to know you, Lord Jesus, right? And to make him known, amen. Let's live for the Lord, amen. And that's where the joy is, amen. Loving Jesus, knowing Jesus, making him known. And when you're with your brothers, you encourage one another and you praise him and you serve him. And out on the mission field, we have their best times, man, on the mission field. Everybody's like so happy because they're serving Jesus all of life.